Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome back to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am really excited to welcome as my guest today, George Bruff. George, welcome to my program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Meredith. Well, I'm so excited about talking to you. Before we dive into the questions that I have, let me introduce you to my listeners. George is the founder and CEO of Artha Artha Leadership. He spent his whole career transforming businesses and the people working in them. He has helped thousands of organizations across the globe to grow and succeed by tapping into the underutilized potential of their teams. George was vice president in executive development at Caliper for 15 years, and he worked with clients such as Johnson and Johnson and the NASDAQ, and he is a thought leader, and this is really important, on leadership in a virtual environment, which is so important today, and the action learning methodology. He has run high-growth businesses in Brazil and has extensive experience helping European and U.S. companies navigate the unique Brazilian business environment. Also interesting that probably many folks don't know about you, George, is that George started his career in London working with actor John Cleese, launching groundbreaking training videos and digital products. So, George, a natural question before we get into the details of this whole virtual environment. Tell us a little bit about how you went from working with John Cleese to being an expert on leadership in a virtual environment. So, you know how, um, you know the famous Steve Jobs Stanford commencement address? Yes. um, Where he talks about you can only join the dots looking backwards. You can't join the dots looking forward. Yes. That's kind of my story as well. Um, I mean, I I started working with Cleese and, you know, people like, you know, Mr. Bean and the guy who did House and all of that in the the 1990s in London, straight out of school. And it was an incredible learning experience because the way that they ran the business was very unique at the time, but is now considered organizational best practice. Hmm. You know, I, I think because they were actors and creative people but, and, and, and business people, but they just had a very, very different approach to what diversity means, to, to including people in, in the process, and to being open to ideas no matter where they come from. Um, so I, I had that formative experience. And of course, we were at the cutting edge of producing digital products at the time because everybody wanted to work with Glees. I mean, you know, when Microsoft and Cisco and everyone wanted to show what, what networks do, they, they wanted to use this content. So I, I had that experience. And then I came to live in Brazil. And of course, coming to live in Brazil, it's a different hemisphere, right? It's a different language. It's a different culture. But you still want to maintain the contacts and, and the connections that you have, you know, at home and, and with other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And then I started to run 
an American company here in, in Brazil. Um, so the, you know, the Latin American operation of an American company. So it was that whole piece of trying to explain to the Americans why we have to do certain things in, in certain ways in, in Brazil and try to explain to the Brazilians why the Americans want certain things done in certain ways. And then all of that came together when I discovered action learning in, in Caliber because the action learning methodology is, you know, working on a real problem, you know, a real business challenge with a very diverse team and helping them to get better results from the project, but also to grow and learn and develop um, as individuals and as a team. And because we were working, as you said, with you know, Johnson & Johnson, NASDAQ for 14, 15 years, these were global projects with people who had global responsibilities and we were teaching them how to be global leaders. So by necessity and by design, we were doing 90% of it online, right? Mm -hmm. Virtually, because we wanted to teach them that yes, it is possible. Um, and yes, this is what your normal is gonna look like. So you have to be able to engage people um, focus people, motivate people, get results. When one person's in Singapore, three people are in San Francisco, two people are in Ireland, and one person might be in Argentina, because that's what your team looks like. So it it all kind of came together, taking all those various different pieces from from my experience. So this is really important for my listeners to understand. You're not a Johnny come lately <laughs> to, you know, since uh, COVID-19 hit all of us uh, and we've been required to work remotely. You've been at this really for decades. And so yeah. the richness of your background and your experience to be able to address this important situation right now with so many companies and individuals who aren't used to operating from home and yet it seems like it's becoming a more desirable way for many companies to operate now that they're getting into the to the things what was your so talk about some things that you discovered that are that are different about leadership when we're operating in a virtual environment versus interacting with people in person every day? Yeah, so the, I, I think the first thing is that giving people access to a Zoom account, um, a laptop, and a PDF from HR with best practices from working from home might be a necessary first step, but it's not sufficient. Right. right? And, mm -hmm. and, and I think everybody's discovering that. You know, schools are discovering that. Universities are, you can't just take what we did in the classroom and put it online and it works. You can't just take the leadership, in inverted commas, that you did in a face-to-face -face environment and put people on Zoom and expect it to work. I think, to me, leadership is leadership, okay? But I think in many organizations, what was happening in the bricks and mortar building wasn't leadership, it was management. It was command and control. It was oversight. It was, let me make sure I know what my team are doing and how they're doing it. And if they have any questions, they can come ask me and I'll tell them what to do. Let's talk Fine. about that for a minute. <laughs> you say it was management. What does it look like when somebody is being a manager versus being a leader in your definition? Yeah, so manage, management to me is, I want to know what you're doing. I want to know how you're doing it. I want, I want to check up on, on what you're doing. Um, I want to direct you. I want to be there as the source of knowledge or information if you have a question. To me, leadership is we form a, a, 
a vision, right? As whether that's the leader forming the vision or whether it's together with the team, there are different ways of doing it. But you create a vision that everybody buys into. And then you as the leader is responsible for creating the conditions to allow the team to deliver on the vision. That's what leadership is. So your focus is on making sure we have a clear vision that everyone's bought into. And then knowing how every single person in the team can contribute to that vision and how they might be obstacles to that vision in certain ways. And then being able to help them individually and as a team go do their work. Right? It's, I mean, I've heard horrible stories of um, you know, people online where you know, they're working from home and, and the manager wants them to spend 80% of the time filling out timesheets and Excel spreadsheets. Tell, tell me what you're doing. I don't have no time to do my work because you want me to, you know, to prove that I'm working. You know, that, that's nonsense. I mean, the, when, once people are, are heading in the right direction, once they know what they bring to the table and how that fits together with what everyone else brings to the table, let them go. Let them go do it. Let them go do the work. And that's where you get the, the transformational results. You know, because everyone is freed up mm -hmm. to, to bring everything that they have to the table. Well, you know, that is such an important point. As I was listening to you talk, I was thinking about, you know, just the comparison with parenting and children and how much children can blossom and grow when parents are not hovering over them all the time yeah. and let them explore and, you know, make mistakes, learn from them. And, it, and, and I don't know why then when we get into the workplace, we feel that we have to suddenly supervise more closely what people are doing. And I can see where if that kind of micromanaging is something that, that a, a leader has been in the habit of doing in a, uh, an in-person workplace, what suggestions do you give? How do you guide such a, a manager into a more trusting because to me it all is is hinged on trust right it's it's uh, 100%. trust your people to do what they're supposed to be doing how do you help them learn that and acquire yeah that? so it's exactly what it is it's trust you don't trust your people therefore you want to know what they're doing when they're doing it and how they're doing it because you don't trust them and what's the reason that we don't trust people it's because we don't know them it's that simple. When, when you know what someone's capable of and you know where someone might have difficulty, you can trust them. Right? And, and that, as a leader, that's what you do. You learn about your people. As a manager, you're concerned about being busy, you know, confusing activity with productivity. Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm doing a lot, I must be a good manager. It's like, no, no, no. It's the results that decide whether you're a good manager. And being a leader... Is, a, is about the results. Now, the only way to get the results is to figure out and to help your team as well, because oftentimes the team doesn't know what they're capable of because they've never been given this opportunity to discover. Mm. So a lot of it is you as a leader figuring out what your team's capable of and helping them figure out what they're capable of and then helping them value what everyone else is capable of. Because it, it's interesting, leadership is the same whether you're face-to-face -face or virtual except for when you're virtual, it's magnified a thousand times, right? If you have a, a problem with communication, 
it's going to be magnified. If you have conflict between personalities, it's magnified. If you have a problem with engagement, it's magnified. But that's, as a leader, where you need to spend your time. You need to spend your time on how do we figure out the processes so that the people can fit them all together? And how do we figure out what everyone brings to the table that helps and what everyone might be taking off the table that's getting in the way? And, and, and that requires that you trust the team. That requires that you trust the process. But that's leadership. I mean, that's why you get paid the big bucks. You don't get paid the big bucks because you're better looking or you're more intelligent or you work harder. <laughs> you, know, it's, you get paid the big bucks because you're capable of extracting the maximum from this group of people that they're capable of giving you. And I as, as with all of these things, it's a mindset thing. Um, I, I think people who, who manage and, you know, micromanage management is, is pretty much the same thing, right? I, I think it's because they're, 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 they're worried and they're concerned and they think it's all going to be my fault if it goes wrong and I can't possibly trust these people, which is, is nuts because at the end of the day, you hired them. So presumably you think, or even if you didn't, sometimes people say to me, George, but I inherited this team. It's like, yeah, you accepted the position of being the team leader. Part of that job description is you accept the team and you accept that the team are capable of doing the job. Otherwise, why on earth did you accept the job, right? You, you, you don't get to hide behind the fact it wasn't you who was the hiring manager. Um, you have to trust that your people are capable. In my experience, which, you know, I, there's a couple of videos on, on my YouTube channel that talks about the results of these projects. They give you better results. I mean, this isn't kumbaya, hug trees. I mean, nothing wrong with kumbaya and hugging trees if that's what you enjoy doing it, great. But this, this gives you better results. It works better, always, always, always works better because you, you're getting people's innovation, you're getting their discretionary effort, you're getting the over and above that, that they bring to the table, you're getting everything that, that, they, that they're capable of giving you. Therefore, the results are always better. But you need, to, you need to start from the mindset that this is possible. Well, exactly. And so I'm sitting here thinking, let's, look, let's drill down to a specific situation, whether it's a client organization or one leader in particular, who you helped make this transformation from being more of a you know, hovering manager to one who really inspires. That's what I'm hearing. You know, you're inspiring your people because of the way you allow them to bring out the best in themselves and you help facilitate that. How, it, let's, let's hear about a specific example of what you did to help a manager make that transition. So uh, let me give you a, a, an organizational example because okay. I, think it's, I think it's fascinating. Um, Many organizations know NASDAQ, right? And NASDAQ were known as a stock exchange. And that's what they were five years ago. Um, and they had a CEO who, who was very, very focused on operational excellence, right? The margins, of, and, and they were excellent at it. They, you know, they grew, they were <clears throat> tremendously successful. But they got to the stage where they said, there are no more stock exchanges to buy. You know, we've, we've purchased all the stock exchanges or, you know, that, that we can. And, and how do we grow? Who do we become next? And they brought in a, a new CEO, uh, a woman CEO, which my bias is I think that helps, <laughs> right? I, 
it, you know, you look I at would agree research, with you. <laughs> you look at the research, women tend to be more successful and certainly tend to be more open to, to new and different ideas. And she said, our operational excellence is wonderful. It's killing our innovation, right? Because everyone's terrified of making a mistake because if you make a mistake, you're out the door. Um, and everyone's doing, nobody's leading. I mean, literally up, up to the senior vice president level, people were rolling their sleeves up and doing. Nobody was leading people mm. because they would be stopped in the corridor by the CEO, the old CEO, who would say to them, what's, what's this number? And if they didn't have this number on the tip of their tongue, you know, that was it. Mm. So they realized that the culture needed to change. And what she did was she said, we're not throwing away our operational excellence. It's, it's good. It works for us. But we need to transform our organization. We want to become a fintech company. If you go on their site today, the, the slogan is rewrite tomorrow. We want to be able to rewrite tomorrow. We want to start competing with Google and other companies for data architects because we, we need to think about machine learning. We need to think about all this stuff. And they used their high potential development program to influence this culture change. So we worked with them for about five years and there were maybe eight or nine programs that we did you know, at the senior level and at the mid-level. And each of the, the projects was specifically designed to take the managers out of their day job. I mean, they still had to do their day job, but the project was out of their day job. So they weren't the expert anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It took, and they, they, were a, they were a deliberately siloed organization because all they wanted was to focus on what's in your... So they chose a project like, um, how do we improve our, our diversity and inclusion? Or how do we include machine learning into all of our products? So th- they were fish out of water, right? They had to learn different areas of the business. They had to, to learn different functions. I mean, not, not learn how to do them, but they had to learn what was important to these functions. Mm-hmm. Um, and because these, these projects were big projects that took 20, 25% of their time, they were forced to delegate. Right? They, they, they literally mm-hmm. had to delegate. So they had to grow and learn how to, how to understand their team, how to develop their team, how to give their team opportunities. And we were there as the coaches and facilitators to, to make sure that the ball wasn't dropped, right? Mm-hmm. Because, they, you know, they have to continue being a, a successful organization. They, and these hypos have to continue being successful because they're our next generation of C-suite, right? So we, failure is not an option. So we helped them realize that they could and should understand their team, hand some stuff off to their team, get to know their team, that they could lead their team and that that would be okay. And that would free them up to do this project that was going to be presented out to the CEO. I mean, at the end of the year, they had to sit down with the CEO and say, this is what we've spent 20% of our time doing. So it had to be Mm. incredible. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's the, one of the beauties of action learning is when, you, when it's a real project with real influences and, and, and impacts and consequences and real importance for the team members, there's more of a motivation to learn. But then what you do need to do is you need to have somebody there supporting them. So as I said, so that the ball doesn't get dropped because right. you don't want to set people up for failure. Right? You, you want to stretch them and, and transform them and therefore transforming the organization, but you don't want them to break and fail. So that, that was a wonderful example. And if you look at them now, they're a completely different company. If you go on their website or talk to people who work there, 
you'll find out that, yeah, the, the exchanges are important and there are history and, and we like them and they're wonderful, but it's not the totality of what we do. And they were able to do that over five years, you know, because the CEO put a focus on it, but then because they put a process in place that was designed to force that to happen. And were those folks located in different areas? So it was a virtual working yep. relationship. They weren't all flying into this one location to work together, no. right? No. So, so they, were, they were geographically in different places. You know, Sweden, I, I don't know if you know, but NASDAQ actually, you know, part of NASDAQ started in Sweden. Um, so they have a huge center in, in Stockholm. Um, they were in New York, which is where their, their head office is. There were people in Australia. There were people in different parts of the world geographically. They were from different business units because there were three or four completely distinct business units. And they were from different functions within that. So, you know, they had people from the general councils, obviously people from the, you know, their, their information security people. They had people from sales. So it was, it was a complete mixture, right? So they had to learn to work virtually, but they had more than working virtually, they had to learn, how, how do I understand what this person is saying? You know, and, and how they look at things and what's important to them and, and why do they care about this? Or why do they think about problems in, that, in this way or that way? Um, and so, so it was fascinating. It, it was fascinating to see them start to value each other but then what was more important start to realize as you said in the introduction the underutilized potential because these people came into the program thinking i am tapped out you know, i'm working 23 and a half hours a day um i'm at the height of my game you know i i, I work in one liberty plaza in new york and, and it's just go 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 and, I, and i'm absolutely straight so the first thing we said to them was you do realize this is a hypo program right and people are looking at you for potentially giving you a larger role. If you're tapped out, nobody can promote you. We've, you know, if, if you're at the end of your bandwidth and you have nothing else to give, we should probably actually reduce your workload, demote you. It's like, they're terrified. It's like, okay, so you're not, number one, you're not tapped out, right? Number two, you shouldn't be working 23 and a half hours a day because that's not sustainable and it's, it's not productive. So you have to get them out of that mindset and get them into the mindset of, look, there are different ways of doing things. The people who have larger responsibilities are not smarter than you are, and they don't work harder than you are. They just work differently. And once they buy into that, then you can start to help them figure out what are the adjustments that I can make so that I can be responsible for larger portfolios. I can take on larger projects. Mm. I can do more and have a sustainable life, whatever that looks like to them. They, as you know, you know, we would, us as consultants or, or whatever, would never define what work-life balance looks like for somebody else, but we would help them to discover what it looks like for them and then figure out how can they achieve what they want to achieve in totality. Mm -hmm. So when you look at how you structured that, um, what is what are you seeing is like the frequency that the facilitator needs to be involved with this team? And then on their own, what kind of frequency does there need to be for them to interact so they get this rhythm developed and they get the communication clearly so they can 
achieve those results, even when working remotely. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I would think of, think about it, the process like you teach someone how to drive. Okay, you know, you start off explaining here's how the car works here, and then I'm going to sit next to you and we're going to go out so you've got some real life situations and we can help. You're going to drive, but we're going to help kind of correct you, and then finally they're off on their own. The frequency is going to depend on the project that they're working on and the timelines that they've got. And, but also it's going to depend, the team are going to decide that. It, 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 company cultures vary. Um, so I, I think what you're doing is, it's, it's very much a just-in-time facilitation in that you're there when you're needed, mm -hmm. right? But you're not there when you're not needed, yeah. right? So, so you're very much in the background and, and you give the team the tools and then you watch to make sure they're using them. You watch to make sure that they understand maybe where they could adjust using them. But the idea is that they use them, right? You, you're not the front and center. You're not mm -hmm. the expert. You're, I mean, machine learning, for example, I, I know nothing about machine learning algorithms, right? So although I and my colleagues were responsible for them delivering this machine learning project, I was not the expert. Right? right, I was just there to make sure that their expertise could work together so that they could come up with the results. So a, a lot of it, to answer your question, depends on being aware of what's going on with the team. What's, what's a necessary struggle for the team? Because as, as we all know, right, that there's good necessary struggle for a team to go through. Mm -hmm. And when have the team disappeared down a rabbit hole, right? So mm -hmm. you, again, starting from the point of view, you never want to set them up for failure. Uh, their failure is, is our failure, right? But at the same time, their experience is going to be the fuel for their learning. So it, it's keeping a careful eye on that balance. Are, are they getting the experience? Are they struggling where they need to struggle? Are they taking out, extracting the learning that they need to extract, but without them disappearing into a rabbit hole that makes them and or the organization say, we're done. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, one of the thoughts that I just had as I'm listening to you, a lot of my listeners are in consultant coaching training roles. They work with a number of different clients. And when the pandemic hit, a lot of them saw their in-person business get canceled. And some of the clients were not ready to move into doing things virtually. So thinking about from your perspective as a consultant and your wide range of experiences working with companies, what would you recommend that these external folks do to help their clients and even themselves become more effective with ad adopting and using effectively the um, remote or virtual environment? So the number one thing, and this is not meant to offend anyone, please don't take any offense. It has to be tied directly to business results, right? And so many consultants, especially consultants who maybe come from an HR background, it's not their comfort zone. It's not their comfort zone to go into the, the CEO or the, or the leadership team of the organization and say, at the end of this coaching, here's the business results you're going to see. Right? Here's how it's going to impact the KPIs of the organization. Here's how it's going to impact margin. Or, or here's, how, here's how it's going to reduce the time frame for, for things to happen. That language 
for many consultants and HR people is not comfortable. Um, which is why it's one of the challenges, as we all know, that the HR and training and development have in organizations is not so much getting a seat at the table because they oftentimes have a seat at the table, it's having people listen to them because they don't speak the same language as the business. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I, I say to consultants, whether it's internal consultants or external consultants, you need to get comfortable with that because it's not difficult. It's actually not difficult to say, this is what this person is working on in coaching, or this is what we're working on with this team conflict resolution. And here's how it's going to impact what you're currently measuring them against, right? You, you measure, people have projects to do, right? And those projects cost money. They, they take time. They have defined results. If your coaching or training doesn't impact those defined results, what's the point of doing it, right? Mm-hmm. But if it does, draw the line. Draw the line for the organization. Look, this project would have taken six months. We got it down to four, uh, six weeks and we got it down to four weeks. That, that has a business impact. So I think the more that, that consultants, HR, can get comfortable having a business conversation with their business colleagues, whether it's a client or whether it's internal business partners, and say, what do you care about? Right? What, what's important to you? What, mm-hmm. what, are the, what, what are the numbers you're looking at? What are the indicators you're looking at? And then when you're designing your programs or your coaching, saying, to, saying, okay, we're going to impact this. Now, we're not going to control it because we, we know we don't control anything, but we're going to impact it. We're going to make a difference on it. You know, sometimes I think people say, oh, um, Meredith's going to do a coaching program and she's going to work on her interpersonal skills. And the manager, Meredith's manager then thinks, oh, that's great. That means Meredith's not going to have any problems you know, for the rest of her career with anybody interpersonal. That's nonsense. That's, that's not what the coaching is going to look like. But if I can help Meredith speak to that difficult colleague that she has and they have a better conversation so that um, they're using 20% less resources than they were using previously, that's a win. That, you know, that, that's a win on an indicator that people are looking at that makes a difference. So I, I say to consultants, HR people, Draw the line between your great work, which is valuable, it's important, we know it's good, but draw a line between that and what the business cares about so that you get access to what you need to, to get access to. You get access to, to, to your clients and, and to the, the budgets that you need to change behaviors. Such an important point that I think, I've heard from others too, that this is a common issue. This um, lack of thinking about the business results of say a training program or any type of development initiative, where is the ultimate impact that can be measured? So thank you for bringing that up and stating it so clearly and strongly. Uh, if somebody's offended, it's probably something they needed to hear. So <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Well, let's shift a little bit from leaders to the teams overall. What kinds of things do we need to be considering when we think about teams working effectively together in a virtual environment? Um, diversity is more important than expertise. We're Explain so hung that. Up. Explain We're that. We're so hung up on, well, the, oh, the research proves it. I mean, look at the, the research proves that if you get together a diverse enough team, they will come up with a better result than a group of experts. And you know who are the worst group of experts? 
white middle class men. White we middle class men? Men, yeah, we overestimate. No surprise there. <laughs> no offense we, to my white male listeners, but. <laughs> yeah, speaking as, speaking as a member of the class, we overestimate our expertise and our ability. And it's, it's proven. I mean, that's not an opinion. You know, they've done all these beautiful psychological studies. We overestimate our ability um, <clears throat> and, and our expertise. Expertise um, is, is difficult because experts find it difficult to listen to someone who's a non-expert and they find it difficult to listen to another expert who has a different point of view, right? And if you're not listening, you don't get the best result. Mm -hmm. So you're actually, it, 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 it's proven, right? I, I can take a group of diverse people who know nothing about a subject and come up with a better result than, than your group of experts. Um, and I, I think part of it has to do with getting comfortable with the discomfort. And that's a lot of what we work on with teams because diversity causes discomfort, right? Because people are different and there's nothing wrong with the discomfort. I mean, that's how the peril gets made, right? You know, the sand gets in and, and scrapes and that, that's when the discomfort's fine. It's good. That, in fact, the discomfort is a sign that, hey, there's something new coming in, right? And I always say to people in the programs that you know everything that you know, but you don't know everything. Right? So when something comes in that's, that's, that's uncomfortable, all that is doing is giving you something else. It doesn't take away your knowledge and your experience. Mm -hmm. It doesn't diminish it. it you know, it's that, that thing about equality. You know, someone else's equality doesn't mean that you lose equality. Right? It's the same thing with, with your knowledge and experience. Someone else's knowledge and experience doesn't diminish your knowledge and experience. It, by definition, it adds to it. So when, when you get everything that you, that you have and everything that I have and everything that everyone else has and we put it all together, by definition, we're going to get a better result. Mm -hmm. And that's what we work with the, with the teams. That everybody knows that what they bring to the table and values what they bring to the table. But everyone knows what everyone else brings to the table and values what everyone else brings to the table. And then we build on it. And it, that's not groupthink. Right? It's the complete opposite of groupthink. It's building on what everybody brings until we get the best possible result. You know, as I'm listening to you talk about the close-mindedness of experts, or anyone for that matter, to me what pops up is feeling threatened, and this means my ego is in the way. Because... I, when I'm willing to say, well, I don't have all the answers, I welcome other input, that frees me up and other people up to really be honest and open. Whereas if I'm sending the signal, I know, you know, you can speak, but I, you're not going to change my mind. That, that has such a different feel. It really shuts down the creative energy that's really? possible. Um, absolutely. And, and also it's nonsense. Yes. I mean, it completely diminishes your credibility. It's like, I know everything. It's like, okay, I'm sorry, but you've just lost every credibility, every piece of credibility that, that you had. Whereas if you say, I, I know everything that I know, right? And I don't know everything. So what else do you guys have that, that you can bring? Of course it transforms the team. Of course it does. And, and I think part of it, I mean, you talk about ego. Part of it is, it, it really is, it's that sense of self. It's like, don't you know I studied hard, I went to university, I spent 15 years in academia getting my PhD, and, 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 now, I've, and now you're telling me that, 
that it's worthless. You know, that's what they hear in their mind. It's like, no, no, it's, it's worth everything to you. And, and it might even be worth something to the team. But so does, you know, the person who's just delivered the pizza with his or her question as, 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 a, as a lay person is worth something as well. Yes. And, and if, you can't, if you can't get over it, here's the thing to me. I mean, number one, the results speak for themselves. So most of the time, I think even in, in the programs that we run, the experts see the results and they go, yeah, you know what, maybe, maybe there's something in this. <laughs> but, but the other thing is, if you can't get over that hurdle, that attitude almost certainly manifests itself in other situations and makes it so that people just don't want to work for you. And, and that's going to damage your results. I mean, again, if you want to be an individual contributor, that's fine. That's, the world needs great individual contributors. Nothing wrong with that. If you want to just be an expert, sit in your basement, play with your Excel spreadsheets and your algorithm, fine. That's wonderful, right? If you want to lead people, you have to learn how to get the most out of those people because that's the definition of success. The definition of success as a leader is not how brilliant you are. It's how good was the results of the team, right? I love that, George. That is, well, that's really what you're talking about. A real leader understands their purpose, <laughs> you know, because if you're a leader, by definition, you have other people that you are, uh, as you said, trying to get to buy into this vision and achieve a certain outcome for the organization. This is so fascinating. I, I wish we could go on another hour, but uh, we're going to need to wrap up. But there's so many important nuggets that you have shared based on your experience. And one of the things I have loved about this conversation is just your sheer passion for it. You know, I can hear it in your voice. I can see it. And when you talk about it, you've lived this for so long. You've seen what a difference mm -hmm. powerful leadership can make yes. in the results and in people's lives. Yeah. And so thank you for all the work you've been doing all these years and the impact you've had on these different organizations. I admire who you are and what you are focused on. So thank you. Thank you. Thank so you. Um, would you please share how can people connect with you and learn more about your services? Sure. Um, everyone, it's very easy to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, one of the, the benefits of having a, a different surname is it's, it's easier to, to look me up. So George Bruff on, on LinkedIn. Um, you can also get me through the, the site, Arthur Leadership. So Arthur's A-R-T-H-A, leadership.com. Um, I'm George Bruff on, uh, actually Arthur Leadership on Twitter uh, as well. So uh, it's not difficult to get hold of me. LinkedIn is probably the easiest way of doing it and through the site as well. And I, you know, please do um, get hold of me. I, I think as we learn as a, as a society from each other, um, so, you know, doing something like this is, is wonderful because I learn so much. Um, and, and so please contact me, contact me with your questions. Let me know how I can help. Um, we, we grow together. Um, so anything I can do to help people uh, and society grow is, is an absolute pleasure. That's great. And it's George, G-E-O-R-G-E, -E, and it's Bruff, B-R-O-U-G-H. That's right. Thank you, George. It's been such a pleasure having you, and um, I look forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. As always, Meredith, good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. 
Now head over to GrowStrongLeaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.